Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Chef Ben Kramer has been working in kitchens and with food his entire life. From humble beginnings, washing dishes, to catering for thousands over his career, he lives and breathes healthy food. Chef Kramer has been a champion of local, sustainable ingredients for years and has helped to change the way Western Canada approaches cuisine. I'm definitely a big fan that this farm-to-table, single source, knowing where your food came from, name-dropping farms on menus. I'm really happy that that is beyond a trend now. I think it's here to stay. It's been long enough. It's becoming now a given that a good restaurant is going to source well. I sat down with Chef Ben Kramer to talk about the culinary arts, his devotion to quality, sustainable ingredients, and his passion for helping people make healthy food choices. Because food is a basic human right. Chef Ben Kramer, can I call you Chef Ben yeah, Kramer? Yeah, sure. Fantastic. Uh, welcome to Because and Effect, the podcast. Very happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having talk me. To you. Um, my first question is, when did you decide to be a chef but you kind of uh already answered that for me yeah pr- pretty early on um right out of high school really um first gig was cook uh yeah i'm as a as a kid growing up in east van i i got into a lot of trouble and i was a bit of a juvenile delinquent mm-hmm. and uh part of my probation one summer was you know go away for the summer or get a job so my first job was washing dishes in a restaurant because there's no way i wanted to go away for the summer that is, uh, I too started washing dishes and sort of worked my way up to the level of sous chef at, at a certain restaurant. And it's a man maker, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're washing dishes and kind of starting at the bottom of a totem pole. What, what was that like for you when you did it immediately give you the discipline you needed or no, not quite? No, honestly, <laughs> honestly, it was great. Uh, I had a really nice ease into it. Um, I picked a place uh, in West Vancouver, right by Ambleside Beach, lots of pretty girls. Wasn't a hard gig, um, but then as I started working and and getting more into the restaurant industry, dishwashing's pretty humbling. For sure. So did the bug bite you pretty quick and you're like, I want to, this is a good life, this Um, kitchen life? A a little bit. It it was more a job because I had to have a job. And then uh, I kind of dabbled in it on and off over the years when I needed work. But again, being a delinquent, I didn't need a lot of work. Um, And then when I got older and I decided, you know, it's time to get my act together and straighten out uh it was just a natural transition into restaurants so i i kind of got a little more serious about it felt it out um it was a really good fit for me i mean restaurants it, it's been spoken about a million times but restaurants are uh kind of a safe haven for people that don't fit into the the regular <laughs> nine to five work life um so yeah i just decided that you know it's time to grow up i went to cooking school started working and i've been doing it ever since i miss the brotherhood yeah and, or sisterhood you know yeah. being sort of in the weeds with someone and just getting your butt kicked for a few hours yeah at a time and, yeah it uh, develops some pretty tight bonds really quickly and the ability to handle yourself in high pressure situations mm-hmm. you know and, and now things don't rattle me anymore yeah. i used to get rattled in the middle of a lunch rush or in the middle of a supper rush yeah but now for it's like, sure eh, it's pretty chill yeah a lot of a lot of discipline a lot of organization you know, I still like, I've been out of the restaurant game for a while and just been doing private catering work, but, uh, I still operate my life the same way I would at a restaurant. There's, you know, there's a lot of routine and a lot of planning ahead and a lot of organizing and I still grocery shop based on how the aisles are set up. So it's the most efficient, right? <laughs> you can't get, I don't think you can get it out of, out of you. If there's a kid listening right now that was thinking about getting into culinary arts, what would, what, what would be some advice that you would kind of start off for them um i think i think primarily would be to to get a job and start working first and see um i know i know a lot of kids that uh have dropped a lot of money going to cooking school because of how glamorized it's it is now Mm. especially with the food network and and movies and instagram all that stuff um and they go into it thinking that's the life and it's not, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of long hours. It's a lot of missing your family. It's missing holiday. It's all of that stuff. And if you're not in it for the right reasons, you won't last. So I always recommend even before going to culinary school, do a year, do the grunt work and just see how that 
feels. See if you can survive. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar to a lot. Unless, of sorry, less less so survive, but enjoy it. Right. You know, um, I, I think a lot of people can tough it out, you know, and do the work and survive. But if if you're not passionate about it and it's not something that you 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 get something from personally, mm. it's definitely not worth the work. Well, there's parallels to any sort of artistic endeavor, whether mm-hmm. you're a painter or a musician or anything, right? You have to be all in yeah. because there's going to be no glamour for the first <laughs> not for a while t- decade <laughs> if at least. ever yeah. yeah right yeah right so how are you feeling now like kind of have you achieved what you set out to do are you are you sitting pretty are you what what's what more do you want to do in the world of the culinary arts yeah that's a good question um i'm definitely comfortable more comfortable than i've been uh earlier on in my career but uh, i don't think i've accomplished everything i want to do hmm. uh i'm i'm st- Still a work in progress. Are um, you always adding things to the list of things to oh, do? Con- yeah, yeah, constantly. I mean, I've, I've over the years, I've moved from project to project. I've, you know, when I was younger, it was a lot about ego and, and getting a name for myself and proving how good I can be and how I can outwork everybody. And, um, you know, as I sort of grew out of that, it became a little bit more uh, about education and about mentorship. Um and, and trying to steer the industry in a direction that I think that it should be going. Um, you know, and then I took a job revamping food systems at the University of Winnipeg. Um, again, that was a lot about education and, and trying to prove a business model that, you know, you can do good, healthy, locally sourced food with all those taglines at an institution for cheap, you know, um, at volume. Huge scale. Yeah. Massive scale. Yeah. Um, and and now I'm I'm you know focusing the la- latter part of uh, the last four or five years um, on creating ev- events mm-hmm. um, and and doing a lot of things that uh, either look like they can't be done due to scale or due to location or due to lack of equipment uh, and really pushing ourselves in that direction as far as uh, kind of breaking the mold of the traditional brick and mortar restaurant is the only way to go as a chef for sure yeah that would obviously it's almost kind of like a an artist who has exhausted their their whatever their their um art happens to be and you're trying to find new ways to push Mm -hmm. the envelope a little bit yeah yeah and like i'm i'm never very rarely do i get comfortable being stagnant Mm -hmm. in any aspect whether it's you know mental work physical work my career, personal relationship, anything. Like if it's, if it gets comfortable and I'm just coasting, like what am I doing there? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Autopilot is one of my biggest fears. Yeah. You know, you just kind of snap out of it and all of a sudden yeah. half a decade yeah. has gone by. Yeah. And you catch yourself, you know, I've, I've been in those, those scenarios. So for me, a lot of it has to do with breaking that apart and uh, getting, you know, dr- drilling down onto the roots of why I do what I do mm-hmm. um, and trying to, you know, honestly trying to find, uh, and build a career that uh, I enjoy more aspects of it than I don't. There's, there's, right. lot, there's lots of jobs where you end up doing, like I've been in them where I end up doing 90% of the work that has to be done. I don't enjoy it, but that allows me to do the 10%. I'm trying to flip that around and make as much of what I do um, what I enjoy doing. Yeah, that's a good pursuit. Well, let's talk like, Tell me about how the industry has evolved since you started and, and how people approach food and how people approach going out for dinner or for lunch or for uh, to, to restaurants. How have you noticed a shift in the sort of general populace of how they approach um, restaurants and how they approach cuisine? Well, the, the consumer now more than ever, I think, is has a combination of being more educated than ever. Um, but also a little bit m- more ignorant <laughs> than ever at the same time. Um, but I, yeah, I've definitely seen a trend of uh, consumers that ask what I consider the right questions. Uh, you know, where are you sourcing your food? You know, big thing now is how are you treating your staff? Mm. You know, things that were never discussed publicly even a few years ago yeah. um, are kind of at the forefront of a lot of people's minds right now which I think is great. And that's, yeah. and that's huge. Um, but we do, you know, run into the problem with people who aren't in the industry or haven't been in the industry ever thinking they know better after spending five minutes looking at it. So it, it's, a, it's a bit of a balance. Um, 
but from a consumer's point of view, like I think as a chef, we're at the one of the best times in history because people are holding us accountable. They mm. they they know they're watching documentaries, they're watching TV, they're on Instagram, they're reading. Food food is you know a huge part of our culture right now, and and that has its benefits and its downsides. But I think one of the benefits is that people are educated and they're getting educated and they're making connections with farmers and where their food comes from. And, and that's becoming a little more important. And for me, that's like, that's the greatest. Have you always had that uh, mindset that that is important or has that grown as you've grown? Yeah, no, I, I, that's always been there. Um, like growing up as a kid, my parents were really into food. Um, we ate out quite a bit, but we also gardened. They, all the cooking at home was from scratch. Um, you know, I did. I didn't until later in my life. I didn't realize what an impact that had on my choices about food and how I operate. Um, but I was lucky because I, you know, growing up in Vancouver, the food culture scene um, was pretty advanced for Canada at the time. Sourcing was important. Um, you know, I moved here 20 years ago, and you know, when I left Vancouver, people were still talking about wild salmon versus farm salmon, which when I moved here, nobody even knew the difference right. or that there was a difference. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky that I was exposed to all of that pretty early. And, and when I got out of cooking school, I worked for really good chefs almost by accident um, that, you know, I, I didn't know that there was another way to cook. Mm. You know, I, I didn't have to break a lot of bad habits and uh, right. retrain myself. I just thought that's how it was. And then I saw as I worked around the city, I saw, oh, not everybody's doing this that doesn't feel right. This feels right. So I'm lucky that I had a really good base going into it. You talked about mentorship a little bit. Um, I, I'd imagine you're in the position to do so, but tell me about a co- one or two of your mentors that kind of helped guide you to who you are. Um, and what, what made them so um, good at it? Yeah. Well, my first, the, my first chef um, that I consider my chef that, that I kind of studied under uh, Daniele in Victoria um, he had a huge impact on me cause I was, I was really young. I didn't know a lot about the industry. I was kind of in it for the fun and the action. Um, and a, as was he, he was a pretty young chef at the time, but older than me. Um, but he was straight from Italy, uh, and opened a restaurant in Canada wow. that I was fortunate enough to open with him. Um, so I got to see a lot of outside of the box from scratch cooking on a level that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were breaking down whole animals in a restaurant that probably shouldn't have been, you know, it, it didn't make sense financially. Maybe it didn't make sense space wise, but it, you know, it was the right thing to do, uh, from his perspective. So that, that passion and that dedication to like putting in the work yeah. because it's worth it and showing me why it was worth it. Cause the end result always was, right. you know, when, when you're, when you're breaking down a lamb or, you know, Peeling garlic, like a lot of restaurants don't peel garlic anymore. You can buy it pre-peeled or pre-chopped. But doing that work, he would not only, it, it wasn't just here's the work, we got to do it, get it done. It was here's why and taste the difference. Um, and really taught me to think about why uh, those extra hours and those extra minutes and those extra tasks are important. You know, I've carried that with me today, like forever. I don't think that'll ever, ever leave I think what's missing a lot in uh, our approach to food is a respect for the animal or, or mm-hmm. for the situation. And I think breaking one, you understand how much work is going into yep. it, how much is being sacrificed, how, you know, and what is going to waste, what isn't mm-hmm. and what you can use. And it's yeah, like, yeah. if we could educate people on that to, to know exactly where this cut happens to come mm-hmm. from or, you know, I think yeah. that's an important and, part. And, and, and not just animals, man, like go, go work on a farm. Farmers are some of the hardest working people I know. And, you know, you spend a day in the sun weeding um, and picking crops. You, you don't, you definitely think twice before you throw out that tomato. And realizing that's a seven day a week job. That's yeah. not like, you know, eight hours a day. Yeah, yeah. Five days a week. Yeah, you go either. foraging and you spend eight hours hunched over picking stuff to come home with a half pound of something. You appreciate that half pound a lot more than if you just picked up the phone and had it delivered. Yeah, there's tons of documentaries out there about food waste and yeah. everything like that. Have you sort of made that a priority when you're focusing on, on your craft and, and on yeah. educating people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've always sort of looked at it uh, pretty holistically, like not just how, where it ends up, but where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's one of those things that when I was younger, the the more I dug into it, it was almost, 
I didn't want to dig anymore because the more you know, the harder it is to make. <laughs> more frustrated you got? Well, and harder to make good choices because at a certain point, the more you dig, the more you realize how screwed up a lot of systems are. And then it becomes overwhelming. And a lot of people just say, like, screw it. I'm not, yeah, I can't. I'm overwhelmed. I, yeah, it's yeah. too much. Um, so I was lucky that I got to work with and be mentored by people who um, understood that, you know, and they were like, we can't do all of this, but this is what's important to us. So we're going to focus on this one thing and then, you know, continuously kind of add to that, you yeah. know, as you get comfortable rather than trying to make a wholesale change and do it all at once because you're going to fail. It's a good approach to, for anything yeah. really, right? Yeah. 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 yeah that, uh, that mentality, like well, that's one of the things he used to say all the time is that we're, we're doing a marathon, not a sprint, slow down, do it right. Take your time build those routines and then it just becomes natural. It's, it doesn't become work. You know, when you try and do a complete flip like that, that's, you're bound to fail. For sure. Especially when you're dealing primarily with a lot of young men who are ready to go mm -hmm. and give it right. You got to just kind of pump yeah. the brakes yeah, and yeah, relax. Yeah. 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 And that, you know, honestly, that's like the real mentorship in the kitchen is teaching people not to burn out, uh, how to take care of themselves. It, you know, it's, it's the industry is notorious for burning through people. You know, it's it's about working hard, who can work harder, who can work longer, who can work stronger, and then who can go out and party longer after and abuse themselves and still come back the next day. And that's, you know, all well and good when you're 19 or 20, but doesn't last it doesn't very last very long. Yeah, I know that all too well. Um, how important is it for you to be a part of a community as well? Like, not necessarily... A restaurant the restaurant community and industry obviously yeah. that's pretty tight but i'm talking like the farmers and i'm talking the community gardens and things like yeah. that like how valuable is that as a chef uh I, it's huge um you know obviously it depends on the kind of place you're working and the kind of food you're doing but uh it doesn't work without that um you know a lot a lot of chefs me particularly when i was younger kind of was we were, i was pretty insular and i wanted to build this kind of perfect world in my restaurant but it didn't really have a lot of reach outside of that we were just focused on what we were doing um we weren't paying a lot of attention to to outside of that we were just trying to perfect um our little space you know and kind of like screw everybody else they're doing this we're doing this let's not pay attention to anybody let's just put our head down and work hard uh which is great to a point but that restaurant doesn't operate without consumers it doesn't operate without farmers it doesn't operate without guys to go catch our fish it does, you know th it's a bigger picture than that mm -hmm. and uh i think if you're not involved in your community at large you're you're missing it you're missing the point right and then you can make more and better informed decisions based on what each of those different aspects are doing yeah yeah, yeah. I notice your Instagram is pretty cool. You have a lot of gar gardening and backyard. <laughs> it's pretty silly, but yeah. It's well, I mean, it's it's uh it's inspiring because I feel like our generation especially has disconnected. You know, my mom and grandma both had gardens. I mm -hmm. don't have a garden and it it, ju it just seems like there's one generation sort of missing that go out in the dirt, weed the garden, yep. eat eat what you have and how do we inspire people to to get back to that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, my my approach has just always been just to to do it and model it. And uh, you know, when I was younger, I used to do a lot of preaching to people about why they should, you know, why they should buy local, why you should, why organic support, why you know. And at a certain point, people start to tune you out, you know. So I, I've you know, when I had the restaurant Dandelion Eatery, we uh, my approach was win them over first with food, win them over with service. And then when they want to know, you know, why that tomato salad tastes better than the tomato salad down the street, then we'll have that conversation, but not to beat people over the head with it. So it's the same with getting back to cooking, getting back to gardening, getting back to canning, like all of that stuff is, I just do it mm -hmm. and, and hope that rubs off on some people. Yeah. But I'm not going to guilt them or shame them into, you know. For sure. Yeah. That probably comes with age, too, and a little bit so. more, less naivete or yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, a little less that. ego, too, right. around it. Right. Yeah. So cooking, getting back to cooking, What's what What are some easy tips for people who eat out every day for lunch or whatever and, and aren't prepping their own meals? How, how can you give them a little little pro tip? Like to get back to cooking? Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's pretty simple. It's It's just do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> is is the hardest part I think for a lot of people. Um, but it's just take a bit of time, you know. Take make a bit the of time. time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we it's 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 amazing that we live in a, in a world where we talk about how there's so little time, which is why everybody eats out and uses skip the dishes and you know buys prepared meals. But like time hasn't changed. It's what we're doing with our time that's that's changed. Mm. You know, maybe a little less time on your phone, a little less time watching TV. 15 minutes, you can throw together a pretty decent lunch. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me was having ingredients in the house. Yeah. You know, like, and that's kind of a big one for me is if I have stuff, I'm, I love to cook. But yeah. if I don't, that's like, oh, it's a process. <laughs> uh, you know, I think just getting ahead of it and like yeah. being, making sure you're stocked. Yeah. Is, and is and honestly, of like one of the questions I get asked the most is how do you, how do you do it? Um, I think now more than ever, we have a, a generation of people who literally don't know how to cook anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that they, they're lazy. It's not that they don't have it's overwhelming. time. It's overwhelming. It's that they, they don't know, you know, like I've done some work in some schools and I'm, I'm looking at kids who are grade 10, grade 11, who still can't really tell the difference between an apple and an orange, you know, let alone how to cut one up, you know, and then even being at the university, you know, kids, we, we would close for Christmas break because we're at, we were at the university campus and these kids were like, how are we supposed to eat? Oh no. <laughs> it's like, go buy some eggs at the, st-. you know, but they've, they've never cooked right. and they're not learning how to cook the way, uh, even a generation ago, like you would have been helping your mom in the mm-hmm. kitchen or your dad in the kitchen. You know, that's yeah. how I learned yeah. basic kitchen skills is my parents would pull me in the kitchen. My dad's making soup from, st- you know. Even like heating up a can of soup and adding something to it, I was involved in that, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that way we're missing that nowadays. Yeah, being comfortable around the stove, yeah, and understanding, yeah, understanding the that it's not scary, yeah. you know, how to hold a knife properly, yeah. just so you can cut an apple up to eat it, yeah. you know, just those basics. I feel that we're getting, it's it's kind of scary that we're getting that far removed that quickly from. Um, like I used to focus a lot on where our food came from, why that's important. I still do. But my my bigger focus now is, hey, we're not cooking anymore. Mm-hmm. Like let's just get people cooking. I don't care what you're cooking. Right. Go 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 buy some processed stuff and mess around in the kitchen with it, but cook something. Start there, you know? And then and then you can baby step your back yourself back to, you know, maybe buying better products or right. cooking a little more detailed or finding out where your food's coming from, but, you know, just get in the kitchen. It just seems like the pendulum has swung a little too far towards convenience and, yeah. and you know, the lack of putting any extra effort if you don't have to. Ah, I, can well, just, I, can press two, right? I can press two yeah. buttons and food comes to slick my house. Slick marketing. Yeah, you don't even have to grocery shop anymore. They'll bring it to you. It's crazy. Yeah. So when you're talking to kids, what are some of the uh, quick and easy things that you tell them to try to inspire them to cook? Uh, honestly, it's... Uh, Taste everything. You know, I'd say the same thing to a young cook in my kitchen. Taste everything. If you think you don't like it, that's great. Taste it. Decide that you actually don't like it. Uh, and to do that... Like you mean while you're cooking? or Yeah, and or even like strange ingredients, you know? Like I've worked with kids who eat three foods continuously, you know? And I would bring in eight or ten different food items and I don't care if you don't like it. Just taste it. And then, and then don't eat it. You know, but it's that exposure and that repeated exposure that I think a lot of adults and kids are missing. Um, just try stuff. That's something I don't it's get. It's okay not to yeah. like it. I have friends who are like, no, I'm, I'm, go- I'm okay. Yeah. And you're like, what? I yeah, don't understand yeah. that concept of even, well, maybe it comes from not having the privilege of being able to travel and go to places where you have to try different right. things or whatever it is. But I don't understand. I get flabbergasted when yeah. someone refuses to try something. Yeah. New. Or being in a position, you know, where that's what you eat. Right. You know, now there's so much choice, which I also appreciate and think is a good thing. But it's almost that there's like too much choice to the point where now uh, people are opting out of trying anything because yeah. they can get exactly what they want whenever they want. Families Every are time. Eating, families of six are eating six different meals at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. fine every once in a while. But at a certain point, yeah. you know, somebody's got to step up and, and get kids to try other foods. <laughs> Did you ever struggle with the sort of disconnect between the quote-unquote foodie culture when you'd have to truck in ingredients from all across the world and that was like exotic foods were all the rage and stuff but it's not at all sustainable or really that 
you know, necessary. Did you ever find it difficult to kind of reconcile those or were you always all about local? Um, I've primarily been about local. Um, I will use products from all over the world too, but I, I never make that a focus. Right. Uh, it's always a highlight and a special thing that we can, um, you know, use to enhance a dish. Uh, like the, does, does that exist within, within that culture of like the more exotic and the better for some people? Uh, it used to. Mm. I think there was a while where, where the novelty part of cooking was a huge thing. Uh, but it, that was so quick and it didn't last, gotcha. you know, like ultimately, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, food and restaurants thrive on taste and service. And there's no way a tomato flown in from Israel is going to taste as good as one that I just picked. Right. Like hands down, you know, unless, unless you're a terrible cook and you ruin it, there's no way. Right. So for me, like that, that not only was an easy win uh competing with that trend but uh it's also less work yeah exactly what's your favorite thing to cook or favorite dish let's say uh, i don't Do you have one no i don't <laughs> people uh, ask you that all the time all the time um honestly and and this sounds like a fairy tale answer but it's true my favorite thing to cook is um whatever is in season and looks great you know i rarely uh Unless I'm working out some dishes, I rarely cook for myself uh, with a huge plan. I'll go shopping uh, and see what looks good yeah. and then kind of decide from there. I, and again, like I'm lucky that I'm in a position where I can do that because I have that skill set and that knowledge to adapt and to not follow a recipe and to see what looks good and, just, and you know, decide that I'm going to do this with it or I'm going to try this because I've never, you know, mm -hmm. I'm able to do that. I have the tools, I have the language, I have all that stuff. So that makes it really difficult for me to default to a favorite meal. Right. It's kind of an old school way of doing things where you would just go down to the butcher, yep. go down to the, you know, and pick out that night's things. Now it's kind of, you yeah. load up. And or, or, or talk to the butcher and say, hey, what's good right now? Right. And be like this. All right, I'm cooking that. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. You know? And it's funny that we call it an old school way of doing things, but it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's the crazy thing. Like I did an interview with uh, somebody a while back talking about canning it being all the rate, you know, we preserve a ton of stuff um, being the new trend. And I'm like, new trend. My grandma would like something to say to that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. That's so funny. You know, it just, it skips a few years and all of a sudden it becomes a new thing. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not bringing anything back. I'm just, doing it the way it's always been done, maybe with a little more science and food safety around it, but it's not a new thing. Right. Yeah, I guess everything's kind of cyclical, cyclical. Yeah. Like fashion or anything yeah. comes around and now there's... So what, what trends are you excited to that are currently happening and what trends are you uh, less than enthused about currently in the food uh, space? Uh, I'm definitely a big fan that this farm-to-table single source knowing where your food came from name dropping farms on menus um i think it gets a little extreme sometimes and a little showy but uh i'm really happy that that is beyond a trend now i think it's here to stay it's been long enough uh, that it's kind of leveled out and that's uh it's becoming now a given that a good restaurant is going to source well most of the time um whereas before uh like when I was doing it in 2005-ish, it was unheard of to mention a farmer's farm's name on the menu mm -hmm. here. Um, and now it's like, it's gone to the point where there were too many names on the menu around the city to now it's just a given that a good chef in the city is going to be using good produce from good people. You know, so that, that I, I wouldn't call it a trend uh, so much anymore, but that, that to me is... Uh, one of the greatest things that's happening in food right now. And I see it happening nationally, globally. Yeah, that's huge. What about some things that you're not too enthused about? Uh, right now, there's not a lot, to be honest. I mean, there's, there's always the the buzzy catchwords that everybody hops on, like everything's fermented now because it's super popular. I remember infused was yeah, a thing infused, a while all ago. All that stuff gets annoying to me, but it's... Uh, 
I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. The 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 part the thing that kills me and has for years, and it's not a new thing, uh, is restaurants that jump on these so-called trends uh, without any integrity, and they say they're doing things that they're not because they know it's going to translate to sales, and then nobody's going to check up on them. So the handful of restaurants that say they're sourcing local, but you know they're not, or the consumer doesn't know they're not. So that, like, that's the part that gets me more than anything is I don't care. You can be 100% all imports. Just don't pretend that you're not doing that. You know, it's just that, that lack of authenticity, I think, is uh, the one that gets me the most. Definitely. Um, what, what do you think would make Winnipeg a bet? Like, because it's a pretty well-respected city internationally nationally mm-hmm. as far as the culinary scene is We're concerned killing it right now. it's kind of you don't really expect that or yeah. you wouldn't expect it why do you think that we are able to uh, make a name for ourselves in that world so so well man it's blown up in the last few well last de- decade ish uh when i moved here uh there was n- very little going on in the food scene which was difficult coming out of bc uh a lot of my peers out east and west were like why are you there they're like so why did you we're ju- not on the map um originally why did you say wi- yeah winnipeg uh, i was chasing a girl who uh m- my ex-wife's family's from here so uh when we were young we moved here to be closer to her family gotcha. my family was scattered all over the country at the time mm-hmm. uh it was affordable to buy a house have a family all that stuff um and then you know after a few years it took me a couple of years i'll be honest before I actually enjoyed living here. To buy in a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always, my first few years here, I would uh, describe myself as just visiting. Like, I always thought it'd be temporary. Um, but yeah, then I, I fell in love with the place. And then uh, when we split up, everybody assumed I was going to run back to BC. And I was like, no, I love it here. This is home. Did you make it a priority to try to move the needle as far as, far as Winnipeg on a national or international scale? Unintentionally, I think. Yeah, yeah. When I moved here, um, I was still pretty young in my career. I had a lot of ego and a lot of things I was trying to prove mainly to myself. Um, but I was frustrated moving here that uh, I didn't have access to the stuff that I used to have access to and the cooking that I knew and the cooking that I wanted to do. Uh, so really, I had like a couple choices. I could move back, um, which wasn't really an option at the time. Um, I could change careers or hate myself because I'm doing the kind of food that I, I'm fundamentally opposed to, or I could create that market. And, you know, it didn't really feel like a choice. I just, that's just what I did. It, it, looking back on it, it sounds like it was a conscious decision to like push this agenda forward, but it was hundred percent survival and hundred percent. If I'm going to enjoy working here where I am, I need to find a way to make that happen. So I, I did, um, really slowly and it took a lot of time and a lot of energy. Um, but I slowly did that. And then looking back on it, I can see how it's had an impact on the city and talking to other chefs who I am now friends with and how it impacted them back in the day. I can, I can see that, but it was really by accident, you know, what was one of the main hurdles of, of trying to get those systems in place or trying to make that happen? Uh, lack of access and lack of, uh, um, knowledge, I think like Mm. when I, when I first moved here, you know, coming from BC, I worked a lot with seafood when I moved here, not a lot of seafood, you know, we got Mm -hmm. some lake fish, Mm -hmm. great. Use them all the time, but very different access. Uh, you know, and I was still pretty young and had to have a fish on my menu because every menu has to have a fish option, which is again, kind of silly. But working, even working with the fish suppliers, I was looking for sustainably harvested fish, you know, ocean-wise certified, which is all over the place now. And, and my fish supplier here didn't know what I was talking about. Wow. You know, when I was asking where this fish came from or how it was caught, they're like, I don't know. We just order it and sell it to you, you know? So, like, things like that, you know, it, that's like an easy example. But there was a bunch of examples like that. Um, so, I just... I, I just made them do the work and did the work with them. Just ask the questions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and push a little bit and be like, well, I can't buy anything from you if you can't answer these questions. Like, get the answer to these questions. And the, the problem was that I was a small enough operator that it didn't matter, right. you know? Like, ultimately, there's a few people, a lot of people that care, mm-hmm. but it's a business and economics speak. So 
when I when I left a little restaurant and opened one that was slightly bigger with a little more buying power, all of a sudden now these suppliers are listening a little more. Your voice you know? is a little like, louder. I was trying to get compostable takeout containers in 2004, and nobody would bring them in. I knew they existed. I'd seen them before. I sourced them out online, but none of the suppliers wanted to bring them in because there wasn't a big enough demand for it, and nobody's going to pay that much for packaging. A few years later, boom, everybody's, you know. So I've always kind of been a little bit, ahead on that stuff sometimes too far ahead where it fails because people aren't you ready can't for even it conceptualize <laughs> yeah, yeah aren't ready for it yet but i i've kept pushing you know and then moved from that restaurant to the university running food on campus you know where i had massive buying power all of a sudden all these suppliers that were saying no were like how can we help you that's you interesting know? so it's it's been leveraging that over time you know and trying to stay consistent to the message and consistent to the vision of just trying to do the right thing how much of your time now is spent sort of, I don't know if lobbying is the right word, but mm. continuing to educate and, and push for um, the things that you believe are important when it comes to our food? Uh, l- less and less, but only because I don't, there's more voices. Um, at the time I was, I was quite a loud mouth and pretty aggressive about it and, and maybe a little too confrontational uh, as far as pushing agendas, um, but it also worked and it uh, got the attention that it needed. And I've 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 kind of figured out how to play that game a little bit um, and to leverage public opinion. And then you know, as as I got a little more established here in Winnipeg, um, I got I I realized that my voice has a little more weight, uh, and I don't necessarily need to be as confrontational and as aggressive it's the work until i until i need to work smarter not harder yeah, yeah you can be a little bit more selective and careful yeah yeah and and, and choosing my battles instead of trying to take on every battle yeah. you know all of those things that come uh with experience and wisdom and age and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm still definitely uh pretty active when it comes to dealing with like food security issues um protecting farmers as much as possible um, you know, dealing with the health department, like all, all, mm-hmm. all those kind of, you know, I don't want to say self-serving, but self-serving for my industry. Uh, I don't think I'll, I'll ever, I'll ever stop that. I think I've just maybe changed my tactics a little more and I'm doing a little more, uh, uh, leading by example instead of by yelling. <laughs> smart. <laughs> Very smart. Um, I've got a couple more questions sure. and, then, and then we'll go to the, uh, the just because segment. Um, what ingredient, this is kind of a campy question, but yeah. whatever, what ingredient could you never give up and why? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I'd say salt. Salt. Yeah. Like a good salt. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, that, that final answer salt. Uh, and, and just because it's the fundamental of not just making things taste good, but preserving, it's got so many uses that, uh, I couldn't imagine, uh, cooking without it. That being said, uh, there's been a lot of research and a lot of really interesting work on, um, creating that effect with other products. Mm. And, and, you know, that's where fermenting comes in. That's where, you know, playing with different ways of processing, but, uh, I still don't think I'd ever give up salt. I think that's the number one thing that amateur cooks or chefs could uh-huh. learn is the importance of seasoning because yeah. people just kind of cook the much? food. Yeah, people just cook the food and think, oh, the, the food's cooked. Yeah, you need to understand. Yeah, when I cook for my parents, my dad's all, you know, he's he's old school, so he's always like, too much fat, too much salt. And when he watches me season, he's blown away by the amount of salt I use. Which, and to me, I'm not using that much. You know, I'm actually like easing up for his sake. Right. Um, and then we have that conversation about why his food never tastes as good as when he goes to a restaurant. I'm like, because you don't season it, mm-hmm. you know? And obviously it gets to a point where like you want, you want the salt to be there, but you don't want to notice it, but you'd want to notice when it's yeah. not there. And For sure. most people, you notice that it's not there. I asked you what your favorite dish to make was, but what about your favorite dish? To, if you were on death row and you had one final meal, what would it be? Oh man, pizza probably. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty simple guy. Wow, pizza's amazing, so can't blame you for that one. Um, 
at the end of every podcast, yeah. we do a little segment called Just Because, where I ask you seven quick questions. Don't think about it too much and just kind of answer whatever comes off the top of your head. I'll do you my okay? best. Okay, cool. Uh, question one, what is the very first cause that you remember caring about? Um, I, I remember, this was actually pretty recently, so I don't know if it'd be the very first well, cause, okay. but I, it, it's probably the first one that I uh, actively went out on a limb to, to support was uh, taken on peak of the market when they were having some regulation issues with potatoes specifically in Manitoba oh. and they were making it illegal for farms to sell directly as a marketing board and uh they're, they're the middleman so they yeah. wanted to Ooh. yeah and it got it got a little dicey I think like the regulation this is I'll try and keep this brief but the regulations were there for a good reason initially and then it sort of got taken advantage of mm. so Aaron Crampton from Crampton's Market and I uh, started a campaign to protect farmers essentially and, and give them back the right to sell their product uh, without all this silliness There's involved. A, and, yeah. and we went after them pretty aggressively. And, um, you know, at the time, we kind of had a lot to, to lose, you mm -hmm. know? It, it's really easy to pick a fight if you got nothing to lose. Um, but when you're going against a big organization, and not to single them, like they ended up doing the right thing and it all worked out, so I'm not... Mm -hmm talking down to them but that that was the first time i realized a that i have a voice that can do something good uh but b that that comes with risk because growing up i lived a pretty uh i didn't think about consequences <laughs> a lot and i got in a lot of trouble because of that this was the first time that i realized that it's hard going out on a limb sometimes even if it is for the right thing i've been reading a little bit or well past few years about once litigation and sort of weird laws get involved in food, it doesn't mm -hmm. seem to go well when they're copywriting seed strains yeah, and doing ever. weird things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think... And it's a slippery slope. Like right. It happens fast. Because as soon as the precedent is set, then you're... Yep, and then they level it then up. You're and done. Then you're done. And they level yeah. it up, and it, it doesn't take Just long Just got to stay vigilant, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Question two. If money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of your cause? I would get a real decent food program back into schools. They don't have it? Like, we had foods class and... Yeah, and na nationally, it's, you know, and, and I'm not a teacher, so I'm not heavily involved, but nationally, the education around food in schools has dwindled over the years. Like That's probably the first thing you cut, right? Yeah, when I, when I was in foods, like, way back, I remember we did some cooking, but, you know, m my kids... They, I think they made cookies almost every day, watched the movies, you know. Um, right. And, the, yeah, there's a real real lack of uh, actual cooking and actual nutrition in schools outside of some Canada Food Guide textbooky stuff. Right. You know, let's get kids into the kitchen. If I, if I had unlimited funds, I would set up kitchens in all those schools and I would make learning food autonomy and not relying on corporations or your parents to feed you I would make that a priority. Honestly, like that's a skill that's going to carry them for their entire life, probably more than trigonometry is. Yeah. You know? and, and not only that, the health benefits are yeah. staggering yeah. as far as cooking your own food and knowing where it comes from yep. and not eating like crap. Yeah, yeah. Great answer. What's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about sort of how we kind of talked about this, but the biggest sort of stigma about food these days? Oh, that it's complicated. It doesn't need to be. Um, it can be, but it doesn't need to be, you know, it's, it's, it's not a difficult thing t to cook well, if you just pay attention, uh, and, and do it, you know, it's, it's muscle memory. It's just practice and trying things and not being scared to fail. It's all of those things. But, uh, I think the biggest misconception in this again comes from, uh, watching food shows that are overly complicated because they're entertaining uh, but then also marketing of, hey, you don't have time to cook. It's so hard. Buy this sauce. Buy this prepared. You know, we'll deliver food to your house. All of that stuff. Great service. But when we rely on it 100%, we forget how to cook. And then it becomes hard. So I would say the biggest misconception is that cooking is difficult. doesn't need to be. Keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, question four. Is there a time in your life where you had to pivot because your current plan wasn't working? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the restaurant industry, man. 100%. Like... 
everything, everything, especially catering, which is what I do now, everything is about uh, what can go wrong and trying to stay prepared for that. Well, and so as many, much as you prepare for that, you're not, you're never prepared for that. So many days you're like, hey, we're out of this, this, and this. We need to yeah, replace or, it with this. Or my cooler is not working or this delivery didn't come or the location where we're supposed to be doing this event, the permit didn't come through. Like the, my entire life is what can go wrong <laughs> how do you stay sane uh again practice uh i th- you know in my later years i've definitely uh, put a focus on taking care of myself mentally physically all of that kind of stuff um which no question impacts my ability to think clearly in those moments but outside of that it's it's like cooking it's just practice you know the, the more you stress yourself the less it's a stress, yeah. you know, and, and not to the point where you're burning out and hurting yourself. Yeah. But, you know, if you never exercise, you're never going to get stronger. If you never meet any resistance in your life, you're never going to get better. You know, so it's it's just practice. Yeah. Surviving those. Everybody. Yeah. Those we're, days. We're, and we're creatures of comfort, right? Everybody wants to be comfortable. And, you know, as much as I love being comfortable, there's no growth in comfort. Very, <laughs> you know, very comfort, good comfort should be the downtime part of it, not yeah. the. Not the 90%. Right. Question five. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, from a restaurant work point of view, uh, it was choose your clientele before they choose you. Um, I learned that pretty early on working for a guy uh, who kind of bucked the trend. And his, his whole approach was this is what we do as much as we want to cater to the clientele, we can't be all things to all people. So let's just focus on what we do, do it well. And if that means turning some people away, that's okay. Um, and I've carried that through my career. Uh, and that's, that's helped me a lot. It's given me the ability to say no to projects that maybe I would take out of fear or out of need. Um, it's allowed me to turn down certain work that maybe doesn't match value wise or even that I would enjoy doing. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's been, been huge for me is, uh, and you can translate that to anything in life. It doesn't have to be clientele, but, but choosing where you want to be and what you want to do and realizing that everything we do really has a choice attached to it and not just accepting what comes your way or what's easy or, you know, the, the kind of the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I've used that kind of concept quite a bit in my life and it's worked most of the time. <laughs> For sure. Uh, what advice would, question six, what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could talk to him right now? Relax. Yeah. Re- relax and just realize that it's, uh, it, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's not as serious or do- doesn't need to be as serious as it, and as intense as you think Life spend and a, death and yeah i spent yeah, a lot yeah. of years living kind of that lifestyle of like all or nothing all or nothing uh and looking back it served me at the time but looking back if if i could talk to myself and actually take the advice because i wouldn't have um it would just be it would be that it would be you know slow down enjoy things a little bit more that would probably mean like taking a loss would be extra devastating because you're thinking this is the end of the world where, yeah. but then wins would be that much. Yeah. Like, like maybe not at 10, but in my early teens, like loss wasn't a option, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, failure was not a, no, a no. word in your vocabulary. No. And, and, you know, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood and anything deemed weak was a target. Right. So, you know, growing up pretty hard like that, with that kind of stress around you all the time and then moving into the restaurant industry, which obviously was a comfortable move for me, but looking back on it, man, like if I took some time to breathe a little bit and not run a hundred miles an hour, I'd probably be a little bit better off. Are you breathing? But then again, it wouldn't make me who I am Right, that's true. I I think about that a lot. I don't regret it, but having, having somebody, you know, put their hand on my shoulder and just say, shh, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> would have been nice. Well, it's just perspective now, right? Yeah. You have the experience. Yeah. 
Okay, last question. Um, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, man. Honestly, I haven't really thought much about that. Um, probably being a good dad. You know, I spent a, a lot of my early parenting years not being one. Uh, so in this latter part, you know, my kids are a bit older now. I've, I've put a lot more energy into that. Just in the thick of the career and you, you're working. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was, I, I was a parent when I was really young. Um, I was still figuring things out myself. Uh, I was pretty selfish working on a career, you know, parenting came second to me, unfortunately. Um, and I wasn't at an age where like I really understood what I was doing. Right. You know, so uh, I've done what I can to alter that in the, the latter part of my uh, my parenting For career sure. or life. Yeah, you right. know, not that it ever ends, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Let's well. Thank you for your honesty. Thank yeah. you for your answers. Thank you for sitting down with us. This has been awesome. Yeah, it's good, good to talk time. to you, man. Thanks. Thank you again to Chef Ben Kramer for the awesome conversation on today's podcast. It was very illuminating. It's always great to hear someone who knows what they're talking about, especially in something like uh, cuisine and food. And uh, I really loved what he had to say about just keep it simple. That's great advice. Um, cook what you love. And uh, take baby steps. You know, you don't have to become a chef tomorrow. You can start slow and, and figure things out as you go. To learn more about what Chef Ben Kramer is up to, you can go to chefbenkramer.com. Chef Ben, K-R-A-M-E-R.com. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, uh, the Winnipeg Foundation has a weekly radio show called Because Radio. And you can hear the latest episodes at becauseradio.org. All music on the Because and Effect podcast was composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can find out more of his music at trentonburton.com. Special thank you to Robert Zirk, Sonny Promolo, and Jeremy Morantz for additional assistance and support for the podcast. Very much appreciate all their hard work. You can follow the Winnipeg Foundation on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching at WPGFDN, and you can follow me on all the socials at Nolan Bicknell as well. Because in Effect is a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off, and remember, laughter is brightest in the place where the food is. Bye-bye. <laughs>